welcome to episode 5 of Black Girl Squee. I am Dee Dee, also known as Dust Daughter on Twitter. And I am Enda, also known as Enda's Corner on Twitter. And this week we have a special guest. We have author Savannah J. Frierson, um, who's also known on Twitter as SJF Books. Welcome to our show, Savannah. <laughs> Hi, Savannah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Hi. <laughs> oh my gosh, I should have warned you about that also. She, <laughs> Inda, is given two loud, high-pitched squeeze <laughs> every opportunity. Okay, all right. <laughs> so just brace your ears. So yes. that's the name of the program. All right. Yeah, that's All right. the name. <laughs> no false advertising. All right. No. <laughs> but um, uh, before we get started, uh, just want to remind you of our spo- spoiler policy, which is that we spoil shit and we cuss a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. We'll uh, remind you uh, if there are spoilers okay. that come up in the show, but uh, we we are given to spoiling stuff. Um, I don't think we'll spoil anything this episode, though. We're not going to spoil any of Savannah's books. No. No, you'll have to read those. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we promise we won't do that. <laughs> Um, so now we're going to get back to get to our feedback. Uh, we had a couple of responses from listeners of this show. Uh, Inda, tell us about the first one. All right. Well, we first want to give a shout out to Sharif and JP at Operation Cubicle for their mention of our show. Yay! In case you don't know, uh, Operation Cubicle is Sharif and JP uh, talking about uh, different things like office politics, um, well, geeky stuff from uh, first uh, the corporate side, and then they'll flip it and do uh, a topic from the geeky side. And it's a really great show, just one of my absolute favorite uh, podcasts, and just really want to say thank you to them for showing us some love and support. Yay. Um, Also, we got a response from someone named Shaza, uh, who goes by the username CatLadyShaza on on Twitter. She said regarding uh, the Nicki Minaj wax sculpture that's in Madame Tussauds right now, um, that, uh, that people are that guys are basically taking, you know, uh, crude pictures with, um, did they learn nothing from Sugar Baby slash A Subtlety? Uh, I didn't even know you could get that close. And security didn't pay no mind? Uh, that guy has the figure by the hair. Disturbing. Yes. Yeah. So, um... Azealia Banks was a prophet in this instance. Yeah, in this case, she <laughs> called it right. Yeah, we have to qualify it. But um, uh, and also we had um someone named Lady Gray who goes by Gray Mirrors on Twitter. Um, 
that said, Hi, Waves, just discovered you. Is your podcast on Stitcher Radio? Um, right now, we are not on Stitcher. We are on iTunes uh, and um, Podomatic. Um, I'll, if there's a whole bunch of people that say they need to get the show on uh, Stitcher, then we'll, we'll see about adding it there. So, um, thank you for your feedback, and I hope you will uh, search for the show on iTunes uh, and rate and review. Please. <laughs> all right. All okay, right. so for all of us, you left us feedback. <laughs> Mine is the lower pitched uh, squee, Savannah. So, just in case you My computer is not being nice <laughs> yeah so I yeah. apologize I'm on my tablet and sometimes it likes to oh yeah yeah I just got a tablet like a couple of weeks right. ago and I, I feel you mm-hmm and it is always fussing at it so yeah because I don't have a computer anymore <laughs> so this is all I got mm-hmm. but, so I, if I drop out it's because of that and I apologize no problem okay no, no problem. problem we'll work with you. Yeah. All right. All right. So Thank on you. to our squee worthy news. Um, there's a couple of people uh, in the news that um, just uh, up and had babies. Didn't tell nobody. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and Lucy Lou, we are looking at you. Um, but now was she t- even pregnant? When did that happen? <laughs> I didn't, I'm like, oh my gosh, Lucy Lou had a baby. Like, didn't tell nobody. Didn't oh. didn't see no baby bump. All of a sudden, yeah. bam like, on Twitter. Hey, here's, here's the baby. Here's my baby. Here's my baby. <laughs> I mean, he is. <laughs> oh, okay. Tangent, but. <laughs> I hope. That's alright, we love you. We love you. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the baby's cute. Uh, apparently, Khalees is pregnant and secretly got married. So, Mazel Tov. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently, last week she showed up to Afro Punk Forum and she was very noticeably with child. And like you said, had no idea, had no idea she got married. I don't have no idea who her husband is, but you know, that's her business. Yeah. I'll leave that, but still, you know, it looks like, looks like her life is going pretty damn well right now, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy for her. Great. She don't have to tell nobody. I mean, who are we? So. (laughs) I know. Just fans. (laughs) Yeah, um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So somebody on this show interviewed Kimberly Rivers Roberts, and I will let that person speak about it. Oh, <laughs> <In> the- okay. <laughs> okay, so um, I did an interview with Kimberly Rivers Roberts uh, for a publication I work for, for Harriet. Uh, the story did run this past week, and um. You remember a documentary called Trouble the Water? She was the star of that. She and her husband Scott and it is an absolutely amazing documentary. I've just been in all of this movie, but you got a chance to see 
um, this is an interview with her, I found out she's um, working on a new documentary called Fear No Gumbo. She's talking about the um, revitalization efforts that, is, that have happened over the past 10 years. She's uncovering a lot of shit like the owning and the gentrification that's going on because um, all of the most affluent areas they've been um, they've been rebuilt but like places like her home like the lower ninth ward and all of the poorer areas and the black population areas they haven't um, seen you know rebuilding yet and so many people still haven't been been able to come back to their homes and of course um, today when we're recording it's actually the anniversary of the day that the levees broke so definitely want to you know give her a shout out and Talk and I hope you guys will um, check out for the film she's doing because she's talking about a lot of really important stuff. And she is doing all the work to get that city back to you know for her community and for her neighborhood. So definitely you know check her out, check out her work, and just want to give her a big. Yay! So we'll have to definitely check that out. Yes. And I'll put it. I'll put the link in the show notes um, yes. to yours interview. All right. All right. So, so um, I take next? This? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you first. <laughs> Oh, oh! I was just gonna say we have a few people uh, with new albums coming out. Uh, if you don't know Rubia Manfu, she has a new album called Standing Still. I listened to it a few times when um, NPR did the first listen, and that album is so swoon worthy. Rubia Manfu has a voice like no other, and she kind of mixes and blends a few different types of genres you know you can hear you know country undertones of it but there's also it's very soulful she's also very british too so that comes through and if you have not listened to this album please go out and listen to it now all right and another person um who has a new album coming out is miss layla hathaway who is who I'm just a huge fan of hers. Um, she recently released a single from the from the album, which is a cover of Anita Baker's Angel, and it is all I've been listening to for the past mm-hmm. week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just just absolutely lovely, mm-hmm. in my yes. opinion. But I'm biased because. I love me some altos, contraltos. That's that's my thing. Um, <laughs> so um, I can't wait to um, get that when it comes out in October, and um, I will and check out her check out that single on um, that cover. Uh, she also does a cover of her father's song "Little Ghetto Boy." Um, that's also going to be on the live album, so Ooh. that'll be worth checking out. So for Layla and Ruby And our um, On um, And this week uh, Vixen debuted on CW Seed 
which is right now where sort of a website or an app where you can see a lot of um, CW uh, animation and comedies. Um, so Vixen um, started out, the first episode is just four minutes, so it's really short, and um, uh, it starts with a chase scene between Vixen, uh, The Flash, and Era. And then we flash back to um, uh, Vixen coming into coming back to Detroit um, to um, for various reasons, and she talks with her foster father. Um, I think now since it's only online, um, they're able to get away with some stuff that they wouldn't be able to get away with on. Um, you know, uh, national tele network television. Mm -hmm. um, there's cursing and oh. innuendos oh. and stuff. And, um, you know, someone straight pulls out a gun on on Vixen at the end of the episode. Wow. And you see the gun. It's not off screen. So they're, they're being really risky with this show. Um, it's the art is drawn sort of in the same fashion as uh, Batman the animated series oh. back in the day um, so but they're able to do stuff on on online that um, that show was never able to do so yeah. um, it's short but it's very yeah. interesting so far mm -hmm. um, and I just um, I hope that we get to see more um, Vixen is very bright if you see, if you get my drift, um, <laughs> she's smart, but she's yeah. also bright. Uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> Brighter than <laughs> than she, uh, she than she is in the comics. Um. So, um, but um, I'm just excited to uh, see her on. Uh, another screen and another form of media. Yeah. And squeeze. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit, though, oh. I haven't been able to watch it yet because it won't play on my uh, laptop. I think I have to use maybe my tablet or something. But I definitely okay, you, need to, you know, catch up. Yeah. If you um, if you play it on your tablet, you probably have to download an app called CW Seed. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's different from the regular CW app. Mm hmm And um, then you should be able to play it, no problem. Yeah, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, n um, to follow up on uh, discussions that we had in previous episodes of the podcast, um, there was a great... New York Times article about Serena Williams, um, where um, a poet and author, uh, Claudia Reinking, mm -hmm. talks about the meaning of Serena Williams. And there's some great photos uh, in That's the that. piece as well. Say again? Hello? Say again? Hello? Yes? Um, she is going to be the speaker at my mother's memorial um, lecture on October 12th at the University really? of South Carolina. So I'm excited about that. Oh, wow. Nice. 
Very good. Yeah. So awesome. Um, yeah. She, um, but well, the interview is very interesting because it's framed sort of from the point of view of a fan mm. of a black woman fan, um, which um, uh, Claudia uh, uh, reveals herself to be, and um, how she was viewing um, Serena through the this lens of black excellence as if uh, and hoping that black excellence would somehow cure uh, racism or, or at least uh, make it less um, painful and hurtful but um, obviously um, it has not even though Serena continues to excel and um Serena's not really looking at it that way. Um, she's not trying to uh, redeem herself or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, make excuses um, or be apologetically black. She's not trying to be apologetically black at all. Yeah. <laughs> she's very much unapologetic about her blackness. <laughs> And um, and about um, her be- being, her expressing her emotions on the court, and um, just being herself. Yeah. Um. So uh, and possibly maybe that's the real, the real excellence when it comes to Serena. Is yeah. That, and you know, on top of all her skill and all her achievements, she's she continues to be true to herself. Yeah. So um, it is a very interesting article, and uh, if you're in South Carolina, please, uh, I hope that you'll be able to hear her speech, her lecture. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, okay, so for Claudia Rankin, uh, with her interview, and of course for Serena, we just have to give up. <laughs> <laughs> We have an Enda, you want to give this final bit? Okay, well, I just wanted to mention that there is an article in Pitchfork. It's called The Queer History of Grace Jones. Um, I forget who wrote it because I'm not looking at it right now. But uh, definitely, you know, want to check this out. This, uh, Grace Jones, she's kind of been... Uh, more people have started, you know, getting into her again. She's having a bit of research. So of course, she was... Uh, one of the headliners at Afropunk last weekend, if you were um, lucky enough to be able to attend that. But uh, I kind of really, you know, was interested in this topic because I don't think I've ever uh, seen anything speaking about a queer history with uh, Grace Jones because I know she is kind of a, a gay icon and I really am glad to see this connection being made here with her and plus she's 67 and she's still slaying so yeah <laughs> she's amazing and it gave me a, a crash course in Grace Jones reading that really? um, the author's name is Barry Walters ah so um definitely I'll put that uh article in the show notes um uh and um you know, for Grace Jones and her longevity, have to give a huge squeeze. 
And that has been our squee-worthy news uh, for this episode. So now we're going to move on to our main topic, which is Miss Savannah J. Frierson, uh, who is an author uh, of love stories, including um, titles such as Being Plumville, Trolling Nights, Reconstructing Jada Channing, Loose, and her her latest that is upcoming um, called More Than a Summer Love. Uh, thank you for joining the show, Miss Frierson. How are you doing? Oh, please don't call me that. Please call me that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Savannah, 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 sorry. <laughs> We're all informal here, huh? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm uh, how about you guys? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so how are you doing? Well, how about yourself? Uh, doing well. I'm um, okay. very, very happy to talk to you. Um, I'm here. <laughs> um, so, well, well, you kind of already answered the first question. Um. You're from South oh. Carolina. <laughs> I am. Yes. Raised um, here three to forever. So yeah, I was born in Philly, raised in down south, and uh, from Columbia proper. Well, not Columbia proper, but right outside called Blythewood. But nobody knows where that is, and a lot of people don't know where Columbia is. So. <laughs> 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 All good, though. Uh, that's all right. Um, well, um, I just ask um, where you're from because uh, it seems that you're from reading your books. Your back, your background, living in the South, um, specifically South Carolina, is a setting for um, several of your novels. So, um, why why choose uh, that setting for? For most of your novels, and um, do you think that it becomes a secondary character in some stories for a reason? Well, I was educated up north, and um, leaving my region to go up north was a very interesting experience um, because, you know, the South is full of tensions. Um, particularly of uh, the racial kind <laughs> and mm-hmm. at the time the confederate flag was still flying on the state house grounds when I went up there and so that was generally the first question I got whenever I said that I was from South Carolina and it was a little annoying a little frustrating and it was a lot bewildering and so I think at some point I decided that you know when you hear about the South, South Carolina is rarely talked about. If you know, you hear a lot about Mississippi, Alabama, you know, Virginia, North Carolina, even Texas, but Arkansas, you know, but South Carolina is kind of like, oh yeah, that, and, and maybe they mention it in the in the in context of we were the first to succeed from the Union and the Civil War started. At Fort Sumter. I mean, and it seemed like that was the, that was it. And so I, I guess I just decided that you know I was going to rep my state <laughs> in my story. <laughs> Basically, I'm going to put a PD power up in here to rep my state. 
And so, okay. um, and I've, and so my maternal side is all from Georgia. My paternal side is all from South Carolina. So that's why those two states get the most love. And I had some stories set in Boston. I have not released those yet. So, um, you know, but basically, you know, one general rule in writing is that you write what you know. And I know South Carolina. I know a bit about Georgia. I know some about Boston. That doesn't mean I haven't extended out because I wrote a story set in Greece. Spoiler alert, I've never been, but I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, hey, put it I mean, you know, there's some pictures going on in Greece right now, but I, yeah. hope, I, I hope to get there at some point in my life because I think it's just a beautiful country. I love Greek mythology. You know, I, I would really like to go, but... um. So yeah, that, that's basically why, just to give some, I guess, perspective of of South Carolina and what it means to be a black person in South Carolina and, and to some other views of possible race relations other than, you know, what you see in the news, especially in the context of what happened in June in Charleston. Um, so yeah, that, that's why. Along All right. With question <laughs> <laughs> no problem so you're giving uh you're giving uh the other side of south carolina people okay um so what brought you to writing love stories romances um why that genre instead of any other because you're guaranteed a happy ending at the end of the book that's really why ah <laughs> That's for rep- that like that you have to have it, it has to end happily, and life has so many moments where things don't end happily or or it's just it's been a long hard road of something and you need to escape. So why not escape to someplace where you know it's going to work out in the end? Hmm. So that's why. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, uh, um, that that leads to. Um, uh, a question that we have for you later on, but um, you recently went to a young adult conference um, instead of going to Romance Writers, um, uh, the RWA. Um, oh no, I year. didn't go to a young adult conference. You did? <laughs> I went to, no, <laughs> I, just, okay. I, I went to a, a publishing course at Yale that had oh. a lot of um, children's books publishers and which then correlates to young adult publishers and and um, so I was able to meet with a lot of industry people on the non-self-publishing side (laughs) on the traditional side Um, Mm -hmm. and it just so happened that it happened the same week as RWA Um, but the the real context is that um, I was just talking to a, a, a young you know a young adult Adult, well, she's not a young adult, a teen, a preteen, um, young black preteen, and you know, asking her about, well, where, where books that feature, you know, girls of color, particularly black girls, and do you not care about not seeing yourself reflected? And she was kind of ambivalent about it, and I didn't really blame her on the one hand, but that, that's what kicked off my whole, I guess, writ- Twitter. Uh, question <laughs> yeah um, it was just because I remember that struggle and I'm 20 years older than this this young woman 
So the fact that she's still dealing with it 20 years later was disconcerting to me. Like, why haven't we made progress in that genre? Young girls of color, particularly black girls, that they can have fun and be silly and be carefree and not have it be, you know, Tony Martin, the Buddha part 28. And, you know, (laughs) why... You know why, or, or Sula? I mean, and I, and those are important books. But there's another side that one black girls have, and two should have if they don't. It should mm-hmm. be able to be reflected in their media. So that was really what started that. But no, I did not go to a YA conference. Oh, okay. All really, right. there was um, a lot of YA element. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So. Do you do you think you'll ever write any uh, young adult ever, or um, you'll stay um, in romance? I'm not going to say no. Mm-hmm. I just don't have um, that drive mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you know, if I have children and I see that they're still lacking, <laughs> then mm-hmm. I'll probably try to fill that void but I mean there's a reason why divert, we need diverse books has you know exploded the way it has because obviously I'm not the only one who's noticed this this is this is a problem that cuts across race it cuts across um, you know sexual orientation sexual or love expression as I would prefer to call it if we're going to talk about young adults um, mm. you know just being able to see the vast diversity that young adults and preteens and teenagers have in our society, they're not all white boys. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not. <laughs> you know, they're not all good-looking white boys. Some mm-hmm. of them are fat, mm-hmm. you know, Latino girls who would love to see themselves as the protagonist of a young adult novel who finds love and is not the butt of a joke and doesn't have to become some skinny you know, long-haired, typical, you know, cisgender girls to find acceptance and love. You know, let's let's think outside the the very narrow and tiny box and 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 show that because there is a there's a market. I promise. I know yeah. that there is. Yeah. But, you know, big publishers are such large ships. It's going to take them longer to turn with the tide than you know, smaller publishers and authors can. So. And they're, meanwhile, they're missing out a, on, on a huge, on developing a huger fan base. Yeah. Because all these people are going to go elsewhere, wherever they can find um, a reflection of themselves. Um, exactly. Because, because this void that you're speaking about kind of cuts across every genre of, yeah. of books as well. Which is sad and disappointing at a uh, in twenty 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 fifteen, but um, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, uh, which writers and books influence your work the most? Ooh, um, uh, that list is. <laughs> That list is long. I'm trying to <laughs> cut it down. Um, <laughs> top five. Top five. Uh, okay. Oh, top five. Rose Under Him, I Cry, in that series is the book that started it all. 
start Mildred D. Taylor. Just yes, because again, going back to what we were just talking about, Cassie Logan, young black girl, eleven, twelve. I started reading that book. I think I was a little bit younger than that, but she was a girl I could relate to, even though this story was set in the nineteen thirties. And I'm that age in the 1990s. So the fact that we have 60 years <laughs> between us enough to like Cassie Logan comes mm-hmm. to, you know, that just shows the power of representation. So that book, I, I knew that I wanted to have something to do with books in my future when I read that book. Um, James Baldwin, If Bill mm-hmm. Street Could Talk, referenced mm-hmm. to me, recommended to me by my godmother, who is an avid reader that mm-hmm. you're gonna love this book and she was not wrong. That is like my that is my favorite love story ever. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite love story. Because they are real they're not a fantasy pairing. Like they're not the most attractive. They're not the most well educated. They're certainly not the wealthiest. But they love each other. And that is and it's an accessible kind of love that I really try to convey when I write my books. Um, Beverly Jenkins mm-hmm. um, she's amazing um, and a, such a gracious mentor um, she's, a, she's a very giving and generous author and person um, Toni Morrison Alice Walker um, you know Maya Angelou for the canonical reasons I think mm-hmm. um, also um Octavia Butler's Kindred, because yes. man, <laughs> man. that blew my mind. She, she and I and I have not read her others, even though my sister's like, why? Because I'm like, I'm still recovering from Kindred, so I just get to the others yet. <laughs> so, and I read Kindred like years ago, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm still, I just, I, man, she she took you there and mm-hmm. sat you down and made you watch like mm-hmm. the fact that because she's she she hit on things that I think that African Americans in the West in the diaspora in particular like you would not be here if not for all of this violence and mm-hmm. all of this mm-hmm. just devastation you would not be here mm-hmm. and it's and it's just like the fact that you had that your ancestor had to go through all of that to bring you to this point mm-hmm. and you have to face that and not be ashamed of it and just and realize that that's not your damage you are the result of somebody else's damage and and just yeah so clearly I, yeah so yeah <laughs> and, and then just because I write interracial as well like I can't not think about kindred even mm-hmm. as I write my interracial love stories like that, mm-hmm. and and I, yeah. So, mm. oh, so, that, you, so that's yeah. my list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just meant just mentioning Kindred. I'm just uh, just thinking about it. I read it a long time ago too, and I don't know if I'll ever go back to it because I'm still, right, right. I'm still like you. We're recovering. Like you're ooh. still recovering. Yes. And so I need to get to her others. I but oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. <laughs> that, was, that was that was a powerful book. Yeah, um, Parable of the Sower um, yeah. and the Talents. Um, those are good. Um, 
and possibly prophetic, um, Octavia be knowing. Yeah. So, <laughs> just if you want yeah, to check some other ones. You have to get at some point. So I, mm-hmm. I gotta just like get my mind right. Like, <laughs> 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 if you don't read another Octavia Butler book, read Wild Seeds. So I, I will. One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> Not today. No. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what is your writing process like? Seems mm. like you have several books going on at the same time. That's, that's exactly it. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's not very efficient, but this is what I got. Um, <laughs> uh, I need a schedule. I, I had a long talk with my sister. She's like, you just need to put it down and focus on a book. I said, well, you know I'm a Gemini. That's not going to happen. The best I can do is give an hour to one book. Because I have been known to switch projects in mid paragraph. I yeah. I need to <laughs> I need to get my mind right. It's just it's it's difficult. But um so my writing process I, I really find whatever free time I can to either write or read. So reading is a part of the writing process. Mm-hmm. And this is something I had to learn to accept. And I've only learned this or accepted this sort of in the past two years because I would always feel angsty if I wasn't writing something. Like, I'm wasting time, but you're not wasting time. You need to have periods where you're actually doing something and then you need to have periods where you can rest and recharge and listen to other influences and then go back for it. Um, so I try to write or read as soon as I wake up. I'm always constructing something in my head, That's, but to put it down on paper or on the computer, I try to do that in the morning. That's when I'm the freshest. Mm-hmm. But I have been known to stay up late and keep writing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Savannah, <laughs> yeah. you and I have pretty much the same writing process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to find it. You got to get it where you're sitting in. It's really <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I haven't reached that place where I could just block off. No. It's like, yeah. oh, here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's it. Exactly. Um, what has your self-publishing experience been like? Um, It's been, according to stats, it's been successful. Um. But I didn't realize that, especially when I first started back in 2007, they, the stats then were like most self-published authors only sell, you know, 100 books per title. Mm-hmm. And I've been very lucky that I sold, I sold much more than that. Mm-hmm. And I've also been lucky that I have not gone a month without some book sales, which is mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, no matter if you're with a traditional publisher or self-publishing. Because some of these books have been out for almost 10 years. I mean, well, 8 years. Being Plumville has been out for 8 years in some capacity. And that book is still being sold. That's really exciting to me. Um, you know, it's, it's been, it's, you have your, you have your ups and downs. You definitely do. Um, you have your fallow periods and you have your periods of abundance. Um, 
but I have learned so much um, with the self-publishing experience. I'm, I think I've become a much savvier person, a much more discerning person. I've had to learn different skills. Um, I've had to become more confident because if you're a self-publisher, the only person who is backing you is you. Um, and that is way outside of my comfort area, but I think it's been a beneficial experience, one that I would highly recommend, mm. <laughs> actually. Even if you just want to publish a book for yourself and your family, I think everybody says, I want to write a book, but you now have the time, if you have the time, you now have, mm -hmm. you can write it and then you can publish it. You don't have to have a gatekeeper telling you you can't. Like, mm -hmm. the only person telling you that you can't is you at this mm -hmm. point. So, I say go for it. If you ever, ha if you have a book and you have time to write it and it's done, Go forth and publish it. You never know. It might become a bestseller, and then a traditional publisher will pick it up and finish doing the legwork for you, and you can sit back on your royalties. And that is the life that I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> that is the goal. <laughs> Ooh, you said a word there about the, the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, and not being your own gatekeeper. And ooh, that is a word because, yeah. Um, if if you're a person of color um, um, and you want to write a book, some there's probably somebody out there that needs that book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So, how do you deal with Amazon reviewers? Mm. <laughs> I try not to read my reviews. No. I try. I do not succeed very well, especially when the book first comes out. Mm. But I, I, because I am a sensitive person, like Erica Badu said, I'm an artist. Yes. I'm sensitive, okay? Yes. <laughs> so I'm not yeah. going to sit here and pretend that I'm not hurt with every negative review that I get. But mm -hmm. I've also found that I'm less hurt and more irritated. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes. <laughs> just because sometimes I think they walk in with their own, you know, I'm I'm about to use a fandom term, with their own head cannons for a story. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then when it doesn't correlate with their head cannons, they get upset. Yeah. So, and then I'm just, I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. And so I just feel irritated and frustrated that, I don't know how to respond to that because I try to make sure that each reader owns their own experience with the with the book, and I don't want to take take that away. But you know, as the creator, here's the thing: once it's out there, it's out there. I can't do anything about it, how people how people interpret my words, how they interpret the story. I cannot control that. Because everybody is bringing their own history, their own baggage to the table when they sit down and read a book. Mm -hmm. I And I cannot disrespect that. But sometimes they will write something, and I and I have to say, I, that's not what that book said, like at all. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't, uh, but it's not my place to, to go there with them yeah. because 
that's just not my. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a teacher. This is not English lit. This is. They have. I have to just. Just say okay. Something that I wrote obviously tripped a memory, tripped an experience, and I have to just accept that. But sometimes it it gets really hard <laughs> to not want to respond to a reviewer say, okay, what? How did you get there? Or you know. What is it that you didn't like about this? I mean, sometimes the reviews just leave nothing to to hook onto, even if it's good or bad. Some they just say, "I don't like it." Well, okay, I can't do anything about that. Sorry, you didn't like it. Um, or even this is a great story. Okay, why? <laughs> yeah. Why is it a great story? You know, I mean, it's 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 a that's why I don't read them because. I, I don't, it doesn't, when it's, it's either going to pump your ego up too high or it's going to deflate you, there's, 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 no, I, I can't do it. I do, but I try, I try to keep perspective about it. And I try to say at least they felt enough one way or the other to write something about it, good or bad. It touched them some kind of way that they were able to write something about my book, and I have to just stick with that. Um, sometimes I'd be reading these reviews and I get mad yeah. for the writers, like because some of the folks just completely miss the point. And like you said, they come in with their own expectations right. of what this book is supposed to be about, yeah. and when it's not, when it doesn't meet those expectations they want to blast off they want to take that out on the writer and I'm like but you missed the point of the story (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because I mean it's like it kind of I don't know what to do with it either like readers they'll come in with like okay well this isn't the story I wanted (laughs) I wanted to start like what is the one that you wrote yeah I mean, it's like, I don't understand, like, okay, you can't take the story for what it was. I mean, it's okay to criticize, like, okay, maybe this isn't realistic, or maybe, you know, I can handle, but it's like, oh, well, I just didn't like this story because I don't think it should have been this, I'm like, so? You know, I mean, <laughs> but you can't do that. I know. I know. I'm like, this is why y'all tell my friends that you can rant to. Yeah, I'm like, see, this is why fan fiction exists. Go write your own shit. Write your fanfic and keep it moving. <laughs> Okay. okay, so we're moving on. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Didi and I, we uh, recently talked about uh, what we learned about female pleasure, and we learned it mostly from different aspects of pop culture, uh, especially music, because we're 90s kids. The thing is, uh, both of us, we grew up in the South, and we just didn't get, you know, a lot of information from other sources. Uh, can you talk about... Uh, learning about, you know, pleasure and things like that from, you know, pop culture and what you learned from it? 
I'm not gonna let black women didn't get it. And what? I was like, that's fantastic. Mm. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, was that too blunt? Cause that's no. what no. I learned. Cause I learned, cause I, I was watching Saved by the Bell and I was watching Lisa not getting any love ever. And I'm like, mm. she's the hottest girl on this show. Why is mm. <laughs> she not kidding anybody that she would mutually consent to have? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I saw Screech harassing this child. I saw that. but And then they gave us the one episode <laughs> with Zach and Lisa Turtle. I'm like, that's it? That's all you're going to give me? That's it? Mm. Okay, I see that. All right. Moving on. Um, I saw that. I remember being super excited when the Backstreet Boys hired a black girl for their videos. Like, stupidly Ooh. excited. Like, ridiculous. <laughs> like, it was just unnecessary how excited I was. Like, look! <laughs> We're gonna get one! <laughs> and actually, one of them actually kissed her. It was like, oh my god! And it was on the forehead. And I'm like, that's just <laughs> Don't make me call out the video, because I will. <laughs> Cause I will. I'll never break your heart. I just got Oh, yes, yes. With me, cause that video is like 15 years old. Anyway, yeah, I remember that. I remember loving basketball, and to this day, I will still sit and watch it like I never saw it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gina Prince, like, by the way, does really good. You know, with as far as romance goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was so yeah, that 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 I remember that we never got any. And I mm-hmm. was that makes no sense. That that yeah. that and and then don't be a black girl and have attractions to non black boys. Oh and have to deal with people saying, Oh, you're a sell up I was like, How is that possible when, you know, I think black boys are cute too? Like what is that I don't understand what that means. I don't why are you Huh? Yeah. <laughs> equal equal opportunity doesn't mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? I don't understand. Even all the while knowing that this crush that you have on, you have a crush on Jimmy, and you know Jimmy's not going to date you. You already know that. So it was just mm. like, I'm not even wasting any effort. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. sit here with my crush and keep it moving. <laughs> or, you know, it's just, that. that's what I learned. Or that, they or when they did approach you, it's not in the same way that they approach other other girls. Mm-hmm. Wait, so there weren't very many overt and explicit kind of, and I'm talking about love. I'm not even talking about pleasure. So the fact yeah. that you know, and but you can't to me, you can't separate one from the other in the South anyway. It's it's mm. all melded together, and it, and. It doesn't necessarily have to be. That's something I had to learn later, um, and not from media, because we weren't getting, <laughs> we weren't yeah. in sport there. So I had to learn this. You know, I mean, the only media that I was able to really learn this from are books mm-hmm. and African American, you know, romances. Thank God for them. In context, that the genre is only as old as the eighties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Wow. We're about as, I mean, for me, I'm about as old as the genre. So I'm, uh, <laughs> put that in perspective. <laughs> it's just, mm. you know, um, 
Beverly Jenkins' first book came out in 1994. Next song. That's it. Wow. I'm older than her first book. Sandra Kiss' first book. <laughs> Was it Adam and Eve? I think I'm about to mess it up. But anyway, her first book came out in the early 80s, early mid-80s. And then her book, The Color of Love, I think also came out in 94, 94 and 95. That was the very first interracial romance that I ever read. So, again, that book is 20 years old. Like, these, this genre, this subgenre, as a subgenre, as a, not, I don't want to say official, as a um, standardized, I guess is a better word, as a genre, is, is young. Yeah. <laughs> so, if, if we were trying to figure things out, I'm only thinking about, you know, women who are much older than we are, or our mothers. What, what did they have? They, 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 Going back to what I said, they had Sula. They had, you know, The Color Purple. They had books that weren't necessarily happy ending books. And it's like, yeah. that's, that's all you knew of. That's it. There, there was, and that's not fair, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, I remember ch- trying to find, read romance books that feature anybody of color. I started reading those, you know, Indian romances. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. I was that desperate. Those books are not great. They were- oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, was that because they were the stereotypes. And just, uh, um, I see. And, and white people on the pedestal and, and, mm. and, oh, I just, but I was so I so needed people of color in mm-hmm. my romance that I was willing to take that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was yes. like, oh yes. no. I mean and 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 black romances, they weren't as readily available in my libraries. And also I'm twelve, thirteen, fourteen, so I wasn't really supposed to really be anyway. <laughs> 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 so let's forget all that part. But you yeah. know, I had I had to I had to get it piecemeal. I had to sneak and read and mm-hmm. and learn that way because I certainly wasn't getting it in my, on my TV. Oh, yeah. But like you said, the best way that I could get it was from the music. Thank God for boys mm-hmm. and men. <laughs> yeah. You know, thank God for Candy Girl because we know. Not that they weren't thinking the white girls, because they had the black girls in the field. Like, but I was three and four when New Edition was big, and you know, so it, the context it didn't mean anything to me. That was for older girls. That was yeah. for older. Women. That wasn't. That didn't apply to me. So that's how I interpreted it. And then you know, we had Usher. That was that was our contemporary. Right. But by that point, I was starting to realize what kind of girls you know, people quote-unquote white, and I wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. So, to me, that still didn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I still haven't found that representation, and that's not true. I take that back. I'm about to take that back. Living single. It, yes. was, more, it was more indicative and and just persuasive and eye-opening than I gave it credit for when I was watching it when it was mm-hmm. on its first run. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me that this is actually a groundbreaking show that they had poor, thick, buried-hued women on mm-hmm. a show as best friends going mm-hmm. through life 
have a very different kinds of relationships. You had one who had a monogamous relationship. You had one who really didn't want to have a monogamous yeah. relationship. You will have one who was looking at marriage as a financial transaction, as mm. is her right. And then you had one who was like, I need to get myself together before I even think about Like, I didn't understand just how important that show was. Mm-hmm. That show was so important. We need it on women. Netflix. Mm-hmm. It you was know, focused on them. Yes. It was just them. And, like, the the, the two men were sidekicks to the four mm. women. Mm-hmm. They were there to support these women. Like, not just in terms of the show and the cast, but even in the script, they were there to support these women. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, I didn't appreciate what I was watching mm-hmm. because I was 10, 11, 12, 13. Like, I didn't appreciate... But now that I'm 32, I understand... And it still holds today. Like it's mm-hmm. still just, it's still just as relevant, still just as impacting twenty years later as it was when it was running. Mm-hmm. Um, and the different worlds again, slightly different. Mm-hmm. But you know, and that wasn't really a show based on love, as opposed to just loving your blackness, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that was different from the Cosby Show. It was just. Yeah. It had nothing to do with parents. It had nothing to do with, or it was well, not nothing to do with. The focus was not about the older generation teaching. It was about this generation figuring out what it meant to be a black person post civil rights. Mm-hmm. As a young person, so I appreciated that too. But yeah, that, that was it, really. Living, I mean, family matters. Com- but notice how all of these shows were comedies. Like the mm-hmm. the, the drive was. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't drama. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I And I mean even today we haven't found today we haven't so, I don't know. Not, we don't that have was it. That's, that's so, how I learned. I wanted then, to ask then, how do you then, find then, a balance between Hello? I'm here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause uh all right, so Didi, you were you were saying? No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna go to the next question. But you wanna? I think you wanted to reiterate. Um, I was just, I was just saying. Today we don't have, we don't have those shows. I mean, yeah. Some of us thought we would find it in Glee, mm. uh, <laughs> and we're sorely disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. I'm oh, sorry. No, I I ejected seasons ago. Uh, I ejected out of that fandom seasons ago, but um, yeah, we didn't get it there. not work out. Yeah, so even so, even today, there's still we need a we need a living single today or a girlfriend's um, yeah. and. Or at least get those shows on Netflix. Yeah. Netflix. We need a what new golden age of black shows. I mean, it kind of feels like we may be getting a bit back to it because everybody's putting black women in shows now. But then again, we just, just the we one. See, just the just one. one. Yeah, but then again, <laughs> as we see like what's happening with Sleepy Hollow, we want to draw us in with you know Abby Mills. With now, and you just kind of see her being sidelined all over the place, and it's frustrating, you know. But, you know, we do have, you know, Empire, we have How to Get Away with Murder, you know, we have Scandal, 
because you know Shonda Rhimes owns Thursdays, and we even have um, my show um, Suits on um, you know on cable somewhere, and I'm like, and we kind of get these you know bits of representation here and there, but we don't really you know have um, too many shows other than you know Shonda's Thursday Night that are centered on a black woman you know and her experience, and even then. A lot of the times you see that these black women are isolated from their communities or, you know, you don't really see them with families or, you know, this group of friends that you had with living single and with uh, mm-hmm. girlfriends, things like that. So it's complicated, but I kind of feel like maybe we, we do just need another resurgence of, you know, shows that are unabashedly focused on, you know, blackness and black people and black women, you know, particularly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, wanted to ask, um, how do you find a balance between the amount of romance and sexual content in your love stories? I um asked that question because you know I think we all you know read fan fiction and we know that that has like a lot of hardcore sex. You know, that's fine and good. I don't have anything against that. When it comes to do you think we need to see more of this? Um, I try to take my cues from my characters. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to take my cues from my characters, and I try to remove Savannah Frierson from it. I try. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not quite successful the first go round, which is why you have to, you know, reread. Um, mm-hmm. And I try not to fall into the politics of respectability trap. But yes. on the other hand, it's really it's confusing and difficult. Mm-hmm to wrestle with being hypersexualized and desexualized at the same time. <laughs> yes. Woo! Yes. I don't I don't understand how we can be both. I mean, I know black women are dynamic and also with that <laughs> is just really just going above and beyond. <laughs> so but that's yeah. what makes the trap so powerful. Yeah. So I so that's why I say try to take my cues from my characters and then go for there. So like this last, this, this latest story that I've been working on, the first draft, um, I, I was too far in one area to the point that it felt disingenuous. And so I hope I corrected that um, and brought, brought her more to center. In terms of, and and part of that is also just how how I am in terms of. So even though I say I try to remove Savannah, I, I can't because where I, the space I am when I'm writing a story changes because I change. I'm not a mm-hmm. static person. So if I write a story, you know, when I'm twenty, twenty one, twenty two, it's gonna feel hopefully totally different than any story that I write now because I have 10 years of life that I've lived <laughs> before mm. 
and not only 10 years of life, 10 years of adulthood that I did not have before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, I try, I don't know how to say this. I think the default for black women is more on the hypersexual side than the desexual side. Yeah. Um, in in terms of if a black woman is conventionally attractive. Mm-hmm. If she's not conventionally attractive, she's desexualized forever. Mm-hmm. I think what I tr- I'm trying to do is take away some of that hypersexuality. I might go I I might have gone too far with that in my earlier work. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there's no rule that says a woman or people have to have sex in a relationship if they're in love. There's no mm. rule about that. Mm. There's also no rule that says that you have to be in love to have sex. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's where the politics of respectability comes in. That's also where some southernness comes in. Mm. And just trying to remain as true to that while... I guess challenging certain expectations that don't necessarily need to be there is what I try to do. Uh, sometimes I'm more successful than not, mm-hmm. but like I said, I always have to default to would this character do this? Is this believable mm-hmm. to the character? So that that goes back to the conversation of head cannons. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of reviewers that I've read, not just of my work, um, mm-hmm. but they say, oh, there's no way she would be a virgin, or there's no way they wouldn't have sex. Well, had Sorry, though. <laughs> because if the writer is successful, the author is successful, they show you the way that this did not happen, and why. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he, yeah, he's fine, but okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, some... You know, you, you can. There's there's various degrees of sexuality, like, mm-hmm. and 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 various expressions of it. So some people can be deeply in love with somebody and does not be interested in the sex. Like that's mm-hmm. just not a requirement. And so <laughs> if it's not a requirement, and the other thing is, to me, I don't think characters or people need to defend themselves against how they express their sexuality or mm-hmm. if it's consensual, they don't need to mm-hmm. defend themselves or explain themselves. Mm-hmm. Only, but only to the person that they're, or persons that they're involved with. That's mm-hmm. not only, those are the only people who need to have a, a, a conversation. You as a reader or me as a reader and I'm reading a book and I'm reading a poly book and they're all demisexual and they you know they had sex once didn't like it or one has never had sex or one has is very um open having sex with multiple partners like they're going to require conversation and it's going to require compromise Mm -hmm. i think that's fair but saying that's not realistic that uh that a very sexual person would be okay with not having sex with their partner. Like, uh, I, I hope so. Because, 
<laughs> you know, I, so, yeah, you're bringing your baggage, but you have to set it down at the door to mm-hmm. delve into the story as it's being told. And if you can't, then you're not reading it properly. You're not getting all that you could get out of the story. Mm-hmm. I'm not successful with that all the time, so I get it. Yeah. But the point is, is that you you you're gonna come into a situation with your baggage, but you gotta leave it at the door so that you can fully experience what you're trying to experience. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you can unpack some of that luggage, or maybe the book. <laughs> Bring some more luggage that you got to tote elsewhere. But I mean, the point is that at, when you get to your when you get to a destination, when you go on vacation, you put your luggage down, mm-hmm. and hopefully you leave the hotel room and you explore, and then you come back. That's what a book is supposed to do. You're supposed to go out and delve yourself into the experience. So. Mm. Oh. Wow. Thank you. It <laughs> was a great way to look at. It. Um, yeah, that's that's actually useful as a writer too. Right. Sometimes I sometimes I forget, but I I think if I root myself in that as much as I can, I'm I'm doing much better <laughs> in terms yeah. of being a crafter and a reader. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, next thing I wanted to ask: um, Do you think that we shame women for being, you know, thirsty? And you know, do we um, kind of see this as preventing black women from truly asking for what they want, whether it's a casual sex or a, or for a relationship? What do you mean by thirsty? Okay. Let's see. How do I define thirsty? Diddy, <laughs> you wanna? How, what I feel for Henry Cavill. Um. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. That is extreme thirst. Yeah, thirsty. Are you parched? Need some yes. water. Yes. I need yeah. some water. So, so okay. So, so what do you mean? So, you mean do we shame black women for being attracted to attractive people? Yeah, for being attracted. And I'm not being sarcastic with the question. No, 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 no. That we shame thirsty is, I, in a way, because for me, when I hear it, I kind of, kind of feel like I hear that people are kind of being shamed for one having a very strong attraction, not having an attraction, but also expressing. Yes, being vocal about it. Yes. Yeah, that's part of it. That you very openly declare, like, okay, this is what I want, like, whether it's a person or, like, saying, okay, this is kind of what I want when I um, get into So people shame people, people shame women for having desire anyway. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yes, I guess. <laughs> um, but, um, I don't really... I think it has less to do with the thirsty and just more to do with people. You yeah. said you ended with um, last thing we heard was um, it's more to do with the people that are shaming rather than the the thirst. Yeah, the thirst is, the thirst can be whatever. It's like I thirst for mm-hmm. some cheesecake. <laughs> I thirst. For, <laughs> <but it's>, like, <laughs> I thirst for 
a good paying job, but regular <laughs> women are not supposed to express their desires and then have that expectation that it's going to get fulfilled. Mm. You know, and searching for an attractive celebrity is an easy target because obviously that's not going to get filled. Mm-hmm, but it's yeah. like, that's not the point. The point is that I still want that. <laughs> and I know I'm not yeah. going to get it, but that doesn't mean I can say I want that like, or have something like that in my life. Thank um, you. But black women are going to be shamed for expressing their desires, whatever it is. That's because we live in a racist, patriarchal society. That's so... It doesn't have anything to do with possible dream partners. (laughs) It just has to do with the fact that you said you wanted something and you Mm. think you have the right to get it. That's what people don't like. Mm. And even though we're thirsty, there's a little... There's a little bit of pleasure in that thirst and just expressing it however explicitly or crudely or whatever or comically you want to there's not about the getting a lot Mm -hmm. of the time it's just about them having the right to say i want something yeah i want it like i I might not ever get it but dad i want it Mm -hmm. yes and it it feels good yes (laughs) it feels better to get it but sometimes yeah. you don't even. Sometimes you don't really want it. You just like the wanting. Yeah. You just the idea like of the it. wanting, and, mm-hmm. you, and the wanting feels good. Because I think most of the time, when people, you know, say I I thirst for ex celebrity, they don't really want that celebrity. They just like the wanting, because mm-hmm. if you get a celebrity or whatever. You don't know that person, not really. You know their persona. You like their mm-hmm. persona. You want to meet their persona, but you don't know the person. Mm-hmm. That person yeah. might be what, or you, might not, or that person might not be worth the trappings of their fame. Like, so it's yeah. not about the person. A lot of the times, or not just about the person. You, it's the the feeling of liking and wanting somebody that is pleasurable, that it feels. Mm-hmm. Because a crush feels very different from love. <laughs> it, it feels mm. very different. And it feels different. I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it right there. Okay. Yeah, that's a but, great way of looking at it. Yeah. And, and people shaming you for, like, whatever. Like, that's their damage. Yeah. But am I hurting you? Am I hurting you for liking this person? Is it, is it hurting your feelings? Is it? Please tell this to all the brothers who just can't handle that we all love Idris. Please tell this to them. Hey, I mean, again, we don't know Idris. Idris is a very nice look at. has a very nice accent. Very nice body. She's very nice. Like, can I have nice in my life? right <laughs> Um. Yeah, cause it's like it's like they lie and wait on Twitter, just waiting for somebody to say something. But they're kind of waiting on Twitter. They clearly have nothing else to do because Twitter Mm -hmm. is time consuming. Yes. (laughs) That's why Uh, I can't do it because I don't have time for Twitter. So I have to sit here babysit the speed. I don't. (laughs) 
I wish I did because it's such a dynamic platform, but it's like that's energy that I just don't have to like because yeah. it, it, it's, it's such a quick communication platform and only 140 characters and uh, it's, yeah. I'm not I'm not built for Twitter. Yeah, I'm just yeah. not. So if they're lying your way on Twitter, I mm, okay. <laughs> well, then you're missing it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But kudos to people who can do it, because that's why people, that's why publishers and companies are hiring social media people. It takes time mm, to be yes. on, like, to social listen like that. It takes time. I don't have it. Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and, and I'm not saying that as in it's, it's unimportant or it's flighty. I'm not saying, I'm just saying I don't have time to do the social listening that I would even like to do especially on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, at least with mm-hmm. Facebook, you have a post. You know you can find that post. Tumblr is the same way. You know you can find it. So if you follow certain people, you know you can get to that post on Twitter. It's just lost. This is... Yeah. I don't... That's so, you know, lying your weight on Twitter, you have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dude. Yes, turn it around. Yeah, you're just a sad person if you're doing that. I'm not saying you're sad. I'm just saying you have a lot of time to be on Twitter. If you're lying and wait for somebody to say something you don't like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe that's their job, to be on Twitter and and yay. But I... I sure hope, because otherwise I don't see how it's worth it. Yeah. I wish I could devote more time to Twitter, and I can't. And I and I'm saying that genuinely. I just yeah. it's it, it's time it's time consuming in a way that I didn't realize until after I graduated college. Like, oh, well, Twitter wasn't huge when I was in college, but those first couple of years, but now it's like I just no. Mm-hmm. But uh, but they are doing. There are now platforms that make it easier to follow people on Twitter, like the Storyfy and. Oh, uh, that's so, so I'm happy about that, but ooh, they caught. Yeah. I, I guess I just hit it at the wrong time. It was not convenient enough. For me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what do you think of the sort the rise of <coughs> erotic romance as a genre? Um, I wish I could write erotica because I can't do it very well. Mm. It's a skill, and as I soon as I learn it. I will make so much money. Yeah. But right now, <laughs> that just eludes me. <laughs> but um, I say yay, honestly. Mm-hmm. I do. I say yay. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Because women have sex. Mm-hmm. And yes. one day, we will all like to have a lot of good sex. <laughs> yes. So if that is your inclination. Yeah. Except for uh, monster sex. What? Where did they come up with that? Mon- the Have you heard about this subgenre where people write about sex with dinosaurs and crap? Girl. And, and, girl. They're bringing, they're bringing heads high to the, to the written word. Yeah. They have yeah. Yeti porn. Bigfoot. What? Stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> I 
with kink um, no. now? No? You don't have to. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You can have... Erotica Erotica is about arousal. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, and you don't have to be kinky to be aroused. You don't. Mm-hmm. Kink is... Uh, no. Because kink isn't even necessarily about sex. It doesn't have to be about... No, I don't mm-hmm. think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think what I do think is that erotica has given a space to express teaching dynamics in the context of relationships. Not even, but it's given it a space for romance or quote-unquote traditional straight romance to not allow it. Mm-hmm. That's but no, I don't think uh, no. I don't think okay. erotica okay. is so facto kink. Okay. All right. Or BDSM um, because BDSM is is not is a is a type of kink. Mhm. Is more than just BDSM. Okay. All right. Um. So, uh, tell us about your recent releases and um, what what's next in the in the queue for you. Um, I released I re-released my senior thesis back in March, mm-hmm. reconstructing Gator Cannon, mm-hmm. and it was a rewrite of sorts, um, to the point of just looking back on it 10 years later like I said having 10 years more lived experience and then going to places where I think I was afraid to go to before partly because it was a college thesis (laughs) and partly Mm -hmm. because I was young and you know 
unsure about a lot of things. They're still learning about how how to craft the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the story is more in tune with who the characters actually are and not who I thought the characters should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so not to spoil anything, but um, it's still about a young woman having to wrestle with <coughs> the image of her past with her possible future. And just talking about how I think all people do, but I think black women in particular tend to carry and absorb the baggage of their foremothers in a way that I just don't see and I, with white women mm-hmm. um, in terms of a mass kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. individually we do, but like there's just this kind of mass baggage that we all carry <laughs> that mm-hmm. African women carry. And I would venture to say this probably would be true for any marginalized group of people. Um, but since my focus is black women, African American women in particular, that's what I'm going to focus on. And so dealing with that, that baggage, crush your own, and how all of that is how you're able or willing to pursue a life and the happiness that you want. Um, so that's what Reconstructing Data Channing is about. In the context of a romance. Like, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> because I think that was, for me, as writing, choosing to wrestle with that in a romance just made it more accessible, I thought, because otherwise it's just too vast and too nebulous of a concept. But if you, but people know somewhat what to do with the love story. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it, it, it's always about love when you're talking about interacting with people. And not necessarily romantic love, <coughs> but just love in a mutual respect and how you relate and how you get on with people. Mm-hmm. And how do you respect your foremothers while at the same time saying, but I have to live my life now <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. in the context of how the society is now. Because, if you will, post-civil rights babies have a different society, have a different world in a lot of ways than pre-civil rights babies. And who was doing the raising? Like, our generation, if you're late 20s, early 30s, we're just now becoming parents. Mm -hmm. So we're just now raising a completely new generation of kids who have never known the touch of legalized segregation. <coughs> so it's a I you know, I think it's different. And so Jada is wrestling with that. And how mm-hmm. does she move forward? And how does she you know keep those lessons that she learned, but how does she learn how to even discard some of them because some of them don't apply 
that we're taught as children that our parents, they don't know everything, but they know what's best for us. So sometimes they don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how do you wrestle with that? How do you go forth with that? And how do you do that without coming across as being disrespectful? Because that's, I think, a huge thing in the South anyway. Respect your elders. But sometimes your mm-hmm. elders are wrong. So what do you do? Right. Mm-hmm. Savannah... Do you think that um, their eyes were watching God informed reconstructing Jada Channing in any way? Because I thought about that book a lot when I was reading your book. Yes. Not directly, though. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I had read that book. I had read it before in high school, and I think I revisited it um, during my independent study course my junior year. But the dialect especially... I'm about to, yeah, I'm I'm okay with doing this. There was this one review that I had on the book that said that she went to Harvard, she wouldn't talk like this. And I'm sitting here thinking, hmm, I went to Harvard. <laughs> I talked. <laughs> huh. People code switch. Exactly. Right. But my but my greater point is, I was raised by my grandmother, who certainly did not go to Harvard, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, the women who raised me did not go to elite colleges. So how I learned to talk was at their needs. Mm-hmm. I wish mm-hmm. I would go back to their house and talk like I'm too good to talk as they do. Because the whole point of conversation is, can you understand me? Mm-hmm. Okay. And and not only that, I had 18 years of talking like this before I got to Harvard. Okay? Mm-hmm. Harvard is four years of my life. Right. I am not going to... And, and, and I didn't realize this until I got to Harvard or even whatever college, you know, people go to. The point is, language is so important and so living. I think you should know how to speak standard if you can. But the point of language is communication. Can you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, in order to speak the same language as somebody else, you have to speak how they speak. This is not a judgment call. Your education, your book education has nothing to do with how you're able to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes that book education doesn't mm-hmm. make you accessible in the way that you need to be to communicate what you need to communicate. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to show with Jada, that, yes, she has a very good education. She went to a very good school, but she wasn't going to make that make her people feel alienated because of it. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. So I did that on purpose. And I think had I not read Their Eyes Were Watching God and saw the dialect and realized how easy it was for me to read it, because I, I remember classmates in high school mm-hmm. not under, not knowing how to say some of these words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was empowering for me. Mm-hmm. So I, so that was, that was a really, I did that on purpose. As an homage to to Miss Hurston, I will mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. because I, I just never, I never want to. I, how you speak 
how you're able to communicate is as much about a person as where they're from. It gives it flavor. There's a musicality to African-American vernacular English mm-hmm. that I just didn't hear when I was in Boston. I don't hear when I'm in New York in the same way that I hear when I'm back home. Like people, my roommates knew when I was on the phone at home. They knew <laughs> because I didn't talk the same. I didn't talk mm-hmm. the same with everybody. But as soon as I got on the phone with my grandma, oh, she, oh, she's at home. She's talking. She's talking to her grandma because mm-hmm. I talk different. Mm-hmm. Like even even now, my southernness has come out in a way that when I was in Boston, it just my sister would be like. Wow, Savannah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, say that again. And she said she was born in South Carolina. She said, say that again. What? Like, and she would repeat words. She keeps poking fun at me. But I'm just like, but it just sounds, it sounds nice to the ear. And mm-hmm. then when I was at Yale and I was coming, going to the airport, my taxi driver said, you don't sound like you're from the South. And I really started laughing. Wow, girl. <laughs> so we, I, I think we all do it in various degrees. But I wanted, and, and another reviewer actually said, went to my point and went to your point about the code switching. She said she did talk very differently when she was talking to different people. And I'm like, I'm, I'm glad somebody thought that because I thought that was important. I thought that it was important that people did not equate education with intelligence because they're not synonyms. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. really not. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until I got to Harvard that I realized just how much they're not synonyms. <laughs> because yes, <laughs> that was shade. <laughs> and I'm gonna leave that there too. I'm gonna leave that right there too. <laughs> All right. Alrighty then. Um, you said a word. So, so your next book is more than a summer love. Yes, potentially that's my next book. Depending on if my agent is like, no, you need to save that for an edit for a traditional publishing contract. <laughs> but, oh, um, okay. Uh, that book I wrote back in two thousand eight. And I have been revisiting it over the course of the, you know, past, what is it, seven years. Um, but it's a story about love, and it's a story about family, and it's a story about what it means to be a family mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It's a, it's a complex book in that I am really kind of challenging myself as an author and as a person about what that means um, in terms of family building and love building and how long does it take to fall in love with somebody and how long does it, how long does that love last even if you never set sight on them and you never talk to them for, you know, a very long time. Because I think 
when people read books, they say, oh, you know, you'll hear, they, that was too quick for them to fall in love. And then I realized, you know, we watch movies and people fall in love in 15 minutes and we buy it. Mm-hmm. And we think that they're going to be, you know, a happily ever after couple. They're a one true love couple. They're a one true parent couple. But we don't allow the same thing in real life and in our books in a lot of ways. So I was playing around with that theme with this book. And, and you know, the concept of families being messy but still being connected or if or if a family is grown and established out of a messy situation, what does that mean? You know, so so there are lots of complex things in this book. I'm trying to be as vague and as specific as possible. <laughs> it's really frustrating to be an author sometimes because it's just like I can't give you the yes. whole story. Yeah. But right. Exactly. Read it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope that wasn't very confusing, but yeah. And um hopefully I'll get an answer from my agent soon about if I should just go ahead and publish this or if it's something that she thinks could find a home with a traditional publisher. So if the agent says nay, what 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 will be the alternative? Um, I want to try to have it out end of October, early November. Okay. All right. And how can readers reach you, contact you? Um, they can email me at me at sjfbooks.com. They can follow me on Twitter at sjfbooks.com, even though I have just said that I am not a big Twitter <laughs> user. They can find me on Facebook at Savannah J. Frierson. Um, they can follow my Tumblr at sjfbooksuniverse.tumblr.com. Or they can go to my website at sjfbooks.com and get all that information there. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> um. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. I feel like I could do this all day but yes, um, exactly. you know uh, right. nobody nobody has time for all that but no thank you so much okay thank so you Savannah, for me. I appreciate it you know and, I have um, to give you a I've made it I like being squeed over it's awesome I highly recommend 10 out of 10 5 stars I like it Thank you. <laughs> I sound very deadpan, but that's usually what happens when I get really excited. I go to office. <laughs> Unless I'm watching sports and I get fully invested. I'm weird, okay. but I'm a Gemini and I own that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I appreciate that. Yay! I'm not going to squeak. But yeah. yay! Nonetheless. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that's really cool. I, need, I, I don't think people understand, like, getting a squeak is awesome. It's really yeah, you made my Saturday. I I mean that genuinely. Oh, good. <laughs> it's great. So we 
so we're just going to do a couple things to close out the show and then I mean if you want to hang out you can um, if if you have to head out that's fine too so we're just going to do a couple more segments and close out the show okay cool I'll right. probably stick around okay cool um, so our next segment is Womanist Vocab where we uh, define a term um, that um, that is would be of interest to womanists um, and Inda take it away alright so today's term is controlling images controlling images refer to the images used to oppress black women Hazel Carby explains that they're used not to reflect or represent a reality but to function as a disguise or mystification of objective social relations Patricia Hill Collins coined the term and she named the four controlling images as the mammy, the matriarch, the welfare mother, and the Jezebel or whore. The black lady was later included. Uh, Hills Collins explains, and I quote, the dominant ideology of the slave era fostered the creation of four interrelated, socially constructed, uh, controlling images of black womanhood reflecting the dominant in- group's interest in maintaining black women's subordination unquote so that is controlling <laughs> images oh, thank you <laughs> Inda um, our last segment is uh, our black girl commandment and this episode our the commandment is thou shall not be afraid to pursue your pleasure amen (laughs) so uh, with that um, just to remind you of our contact info Inda can be found on twitter at Inda's Corner and uh, on her blog uh, cornerstorepress.wordpress.com uh, Savannah can be found uh, on Twitter at SJF Books and um, her website sjfbooks.com uh, I'm at Dustdaughter on Twitter uh, and my uh, WordPress is IamDustDaughter at WordPress.com and of course you can find the show on Twitter at BlackGirlSquee or you can email us at BlackGirlSquee at gmail.com so on behalf of Inda and our guest Savannah, uh, we thank you for listening to, to the show. Please check us out on iTunes, rate and review, and, um, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>